My dear friends, good morning. good morning. What a joy it is to see you all again. I missed you last week. You all need to know that your youth did a phenomenal job on their mission trip. Uh, it was a little choppy in some of the waters, but um, when we got to our destination. Uh, I couldn't have been more proud. They were wonderful. Everybody is back safely. So thank you for that opportunity. And I would like to welcome you all to our C2 service here at Community Church, where by the grace of God, all of God's children are welcome, all of God's children are affirmed, and all of God's children are most certainly loved. I can also wish you a happy Father's Day today. Where's my fathers out there? kind of hard to see. Um, as I was reminded by one of our music ministers, Tony, today, Father's Day is a day to celebrate not just biological fathers, but really all of those in all shapes and sizes, including mothers, who have had the strength and the courage uh, to step up and mentor and raise some of our young people. So we honor all of you today, and uh, we will be talking about fathers and in the theme of Father's Day, we'll also be talking about love today. So that will kind of be our theme woven through our service today, which is going to start right now. May all who are willing and able please rise, because it is a beautiful day that the Lord has made. We should be glad. We should rejoice that we get to live with God every day.
Trip to Breaker. I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to bet on the first one. Friends, would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we thank you today. We thank you for families. We thank you for fathers. We thank you, Lord, for being our Father, to continue to show us the way and to continue to show us that your love conquers all. We ask today, Lord, that you bless all of our families, and we also give thanks for this family sitting here together that comes together as one on Sundays to worship, to honor, to praise, and to show our love for you. Please continue, Lord, to show us the way. Please continue to show us how important it is that we lift each other up, especially in this day and age, and show each other your model of love. In your name, we pray. Amen. And now, a little something specifically for the fathers. This is a musical tribute in honor and celebration of you. (laughs) 
friends, I, I have to take just a minute to lift up our music ministers here at our C2 service, especially in the summertime. There's so many moving parts. Some people are away. Some people are here. And every single Sunday, these guys just work extra hard, and they don't miss a beat. We have so much talent up there. It is truly a blessing. Thank you for, for elevating us in our worship of the Lord. We are really, 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 truly grateful. And and let's take a moment now, friends, to uh, share some of the love and peace of Christ with each other as we greet each other, give each other hugs, wish each other a happy Father's Day. May the peace of Christ be with you all. All right, friends, as you all know, just a reminder that uh, all of the upcoming community things and church events that are happening are right on the back in beautiful color here of your um, action page that you have in front of you. Uh, I will lift a couple things up because they are happening today. Uh, We do have uh, donuts for dads, I believe, in the courtyard right after the service. You guys can hear some some horrible dad jokes and share a donut and uh, just enjoy some good fellowship together. And we also have our Jazz Vespers service tonight, which is a really unique and wonderful experience. Uh, I believe their theme is fathers as well. Uh, And if you haven't checked out our Jazz Vespers, it's a beautiful mix of uh, poetry and prayer and music, uh, phenomenal music, which uh, echoes around this campus all week long. It's just such a blessing that we have church-wide such an incredible music program here. Um, And if you want to support that and support these things also, uh, we do have a generosity basket uh, by the doors if you would like to leave an offering. Um, We... Uh, invite you to do so, uh, and we are very grateful for that. And that leads us into our scripture today. Uh, our scripture is a pretty well-known scripture uh, for most folks. It is about love. It is about, uh, it is Paul writing to the Corinthians uh, about God's love and why God's love is one of the most important things of all. Uh, it is traditionally read mostly at where? Does anybody know? Weddings, yeah, which I will share uh, with you as a father. I will not be here next week. I will be officiating my daughter's wedding next weekend in Colorado. So it was kind of apropos that this was the scripture chosen for today. Um, thank you. I, I, am, I am truly, truly, truly blessed. Um, but I think uh, most of us who have heard this know that this kind of encapsulates uh, some, some of the most beautiful words um, that we have to kind of express the importance of God's love. And so here is the scripture for today from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. If I could speak all of the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. 
It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to those of you who are here in-house, at home, and across the way. Those of you who have birthed children, raised children, and mentored children and youth in the wider community and wider world. We're so grateful for all of your service and all of your time. Through the miracle of um, the day in which we live, I'll be with extended family uh, for dinner tonight in Denver, (laughs) three generations. We take turns now as ministry team through the summer going off to spend some time making the circuit to see family. And I'm really grateful to be able to to be with them and grateful for your giving me the time away so that I can be with family too. As we prepare for today's message, you'll notice that so much of the liturgy, especially in C2 and the music is about love. Last week, the sermon topic was love, and today the sermon topic is what is truth. And yesterday I was planning the memorial service for Sally Toffee with her husband of a million years there in their 90s, and they they met when she was 14 and he was 17. And the obituary was pretty short, and I was asking, what is the truth of her life? Tell me more about her. And we were telling, we started telling stories, and he said, I said, what would you think she would want us to know about her? And he said, I loved her, and she loved me. The truth, the way, the truth, and the life of God's way is a way of love. Please pray with me. Holy One, this is a fraught topic, what is truth in the day in which we live, and so we pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear your intention for our lives, your way, and your truth, and that we might be faithful to you in all things. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts today be an acceptable offering for you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Four high school boys agreed to skip class and go off to an afternoon matinee And they had a really great time, kind of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I guess, if you've ever seen that movie. There were probably a few more escapades. And the next day when they returned to school, they said, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. We were on our way back to class after lunch in the afternoon, but we had a flat tire, and by the time we got it fixed, we couldn't get here in time. Teacher said, no problem. It was just a short quiz that we had yesterday. You can take it right now. Um, Each of you go off to one of the corners of the classroom, take out a piece of paper and something to write with, and and, and then you can be on with your day. And so she set them down, and they prepared for the, qu- the questions on the quiz. And she said, which tire was flat? <laughs> what is the truth? Ask anyone today, what is the truth? And you may get skeptical looks, somebody may get angry, and somebody may go off on a diatribe about this topic or that topic. Are you with me on that? 
this is a very difficult time to discern what is truth in the world, whether you're on the golf course or the tennis course or you're at the barber shop or university campus somewhere. The concept of truth has fallen on hard times, to be sure, and the consequences of that are ravaging our culture. So it's no wonder that somebody picked this as a topic and said, could you talk to us about how we discern what is true? So let's go back to the starting point and ask that question again. What is truth for those of us who are confessing followers of the way of Jesus, confessing Christians? Well, here's a simple definition drawn from what the Bible teaches. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Period. Even more to the point, truth is the self-expression of God in the world. That's literally the biblical meaning of truth, God's self-expression in particular through the life of Jesus, because the definition of truth, the only definition of truth, flows from God. Truth also is the only ultimate reality. And it is only ultimate and only reality because God's word spoke into the world and made it so. God is the source for all truth, and it is the standard by which all other earthly truth claims are measured. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. You'll remember what the Gospel of John says in several places. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 8, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And John 16, when the spirit of truth comes... You will be guided and into all truth, for the Spirit will speak on authority, for whatever is spoken will be declared as the way of God for all things that are to come. So what is the truth? When I was a child, I learned the this, this same Bible verse that you did. Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. As I grew a little bit older, my mother let me join the campfire girls because their truth aligned with our faith. We were a a pretty faithful family in our, our practices. And we weren't allowed to do things that weren't in line with their understanding and mine of what it means to be faithful. Campfire girls worship God, seek beauty, give service, pursue knowledge, be trustworthy, hold on to health, glorify work, and be happy. And it was so, and there's a song, Andrew, be glad I didn't sing it. The Boy Scouts also pledged their lives to a different truth. On my honor, I will do my best to do my, to God and my country. How many of you were Eagle Scouts? Any Eagle Scouts in here? Yeah, a few. This was a, a compass, wasn't it? A, um, a compass that guided your life and your decisions. As a young pastor, I joined the local Rotary Club, a service organization that was aligned with my faith. Their international focus was the eradication of polio in our time. And members weekly affirmed the Rotary four-way test, if you've ever been in Rotary, a philosophy that served as a guidepost for business owners since 1932. Before we pledged allegiance to the flag and before we said the blessing for the food before our meal, we stood and affirmed the four-way test 
that guided our thoughts and decision-making and behavior as professionals. Number one, is it the truth? Number two, is it fair to all concerned? Number three, will it bring goodwill and better friendships? Three, and number four, <laughs> I lost track. Will it be beneficial to all? When Rotarian Herbert J. Taylor faced bankruptcy, he developed this four-way test as a moral compass for his business. He discovered after writing it that it was a really difficult thing to practice, and he had to work daily. Uh, he saw this as a test of integrity and his faith. He found all sorts of falsehoods in his company's advertising. It wasn't the truth, so he had to change how he advertised. He discovered that the tighter money became, the more likely the company made self-serving decisions that didn't have much regard for how they impacted others. And so he had to change those practices in order to be faithful to God, as embodied by this four-way test. The lesson he learned and the lesson he passed on through his business and his family and his social world by example was that aligning his life with God and these four principles required commitment and practice until they became a way of life. Just as surely as you only get better at tennis if you work at it regularly or any other thing that you deeply care about. So it is for us this morning. As followers of the way, the truth, and the life of Christ, we regularly gather to praise the one who makes all things possible. And here we practice aligning our life with Jesus, God's truth manifest in the world. Now when something is true, it's clean, it's clear, it's architecturally straight. If you're building a house, you want the foundation of your house to sit true on the lot. And as Christians, we understand sin as missing the mark. It is the missing the mark of truth, of being untrue, of being unfaithful. Now the point isn't that as Christians we're all going to agree on how to live out the truth. We're not going to agree on that. We're not going to agree on that. The point isn't that we all agree, but that we are all faithful. So just for today, we're going to put the cookies on the lowest shelf so all of us can reach them. Our truth test is Christ alone. Christ who was, is, and always will be the way, the truth, and the life. Through Christ, God showed us the way to live. Now, we may have been campfire girls or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or Rotarians, but central to each of these and their oaths and their confessions is that we are confessing Christians. And as confessing Christians, our test of faith is simple, and you know it by heart. Jesus asked us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as our own self. So the truth test of all that we read, see, think, act, experience, plan, is measured by our fidelity to this truth. Now, you remember, Rotarians ask four questions. We ask, 
just three. Does this honor God? This is a vertical truth. From beginning to end, the alpha and the omega, is whatever I'm up against is up against me, the decision I have in front of me, the action I want to take, is this aligned with God's intention for all created things? That's not easy to answer, but it's the truth. And it's the litmus test for the choices that we make. Is what I'm about to do, think, or engage in aligned with God's will for all creation? Does this express compassion towards neighbor, all neighbors? If it only expresses compassion towards someone I love, as we talked about last week, then it isn't faithful. Remember, we talked last week that, you know, the Bible says even sinners love their family. What good is it if you only love those who love you, right? The test is whether you love all people, even the ones most difficult to love. Does this, whatever it is that we're going to engage in, cherish our own self as a beloved child of God? Does it establish boundaries for us to protect us? Does it honor us as a beloved created in God's own image? Does it honor God? Does it express compassion toward neighbor? Does it cherish our own self? This is our truth test. If something does not align with these three things... It is out of bounds. You've heard me say in past years, there's a theologian named Justo Gonzalez, seminary professor, who says that uh, base, uh, our Christian faith is like a game of baseball. There's lots of ways to play the game. Different strategies for different teams. Everybody has a different way that they, um, di different position they play on the field. But nevertheless, there are foul lines to the game. There are behaviors, thoughts, and actions that are outside of those boundaries. The truth is, is what happens on the playing field here. But there are things outside the boundaries, which is a good setup for the next sermon coming. Are you taking notes back there, Reverend Dave? I have to take notes when you preach, so it's only fair. As we affirmed last week about love, the truth test is stupidly simple and very difficult because we have to practice it every day. Now, often this can feel, this kind of living into the truth with love can feel like it's being kind of mean, like we're, we are having to make a decision that is costly or consequential. It's not always warm and fuzzy. I read um, uh, Don Stoner's sermon from 1970-something about justice, and there was a lot of hard stuff in there, right? It wasn't all warm and fuzzy. There was a cost to faithfulness. I remember, it's not been all that long ago, when one of our children had gone off the, the rails, and we didn't know it. We were paying this grown child's rent during the pandemic, only to discover that she was home drinking a lot of vodka in the basement. And we had to have this moment, this truth moment in our family after praying about it a great deal. And so we gave her three choices. They were hard. You can go to rehab, you can get out of the basement and get a job, or you can be homeless. But what you can't do is live in the basement here and drink vodka on our nickel. And we sucked in our breath, what if our daughter's homeless as a consequence? 
She called last night. She's going on three years sober. She said, Mom, I got the job of my dreams today. I'm living with my favorite roommate, and I got a brand new apartment. I'm so excited. I love my life. And she's alive. But telling the truth in love can be risky. You don't always know the outcome when you do it. It can be costly. In defining the truth, it might be helpful to take just a moment to note what truth is not. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that claims to be the truth right now. Truth is not simply whatever works. This is a philosophy of pragmatism, the ends versus means. In reality, lies can appear to work, but they're still lies and not the truth. Truth is not simply what's coherent and understandable. A group of people can get together and form a conspiracy based on a set of falsehoods where they all agree to tell the same false story, but it does not make that story true. Truth is not what makes people feel good. Unfortunately, really bad news can be true. Truth is not what the majority thinks is true. 51% of a group can reach a wrong conclusion. Truth is not what is comprehensive. You might write a 100-page thesis on something and still arrive at a false conclusion. Truth is not defined by what is intended. Good intentions can still be wrong. There's a group of theologians that write a, a book, they update it from time to time, and it's called How My Mind Has Changed. They've been studying the Bible and praying and being faithful their whole life. But sometimes new information, they realize, gosh, I missed the mark on that one. I wasn't quite true with my understanding of that one. Truth isn't simply what is believed because a lie believed is still a lie. From ancient times, philosophers have asked, what is truth? And you have no idea how much of philosophy I read before this morning. And be really grateful I didn't bring it all to you today. 2,000 years ago, Pilate looked directly at the origin of all truth on an early morning we call Good Friday. Not long before being arrested and brought to the governor, Jesus had made the simple statement, I am the truth. And Pilate responded, what is truth? We know then what truth is not. So what is? In a word, Truth is reality. It's how things actually are. Theologically, truth is that which is consistent. Again, we said this at the beginning. With the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-disclosure of God. It is what it is because God declares it so and made it so. God, our creator, is the God of truth. In the Psalms, Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. John, Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Paul calls scripture the word of truth, and Jesus prayed, your word is truth. Everything about God is truth. Truth is divine. Ultimately, all truth is God's truth from above. It's not of this world. It's not what the crowd speculates something to be. It's not determined by opinion polls, polls, nor is it discovered by a public survey. It is not grandfathered in by human tradition. Truth can only be known by divine revelation. So when we're uncertain about what is true, 
we come to church, we read the Bible, and we pray, and God will reveal it to us. Truth is absolute. Without God, there cannot be any absolutes. The issue in our day is whether there is absolute truth that is true for everyone, no matter who they are, where they live, or what they do. This is a question I often ask myself before I preach as a truth test. If what I'm saying to you is not as true for someone in prison, someone in the middle of Africa, in South America, under the most vile conditions in refugee camps in a war zone, or right here in Florida, then it's not true. It can't just be true for us. It's one of the difficulties with the prosperity gospel that is so popular. If you pray and do the right things before God, you will become wealthy. That's not true. Now, you may become wealthy or you may not become wealthy, but if it's not true for somebody else, then it's not true because truth can't be true for this person but not for that person if it comes from God. Does that make sense? Can't be both. Can't be both those things. All truth is universally true. There's no place where truth is not. Truth is objective. It's not discovered by our personal feelings or determined by our private intuitions. Because truth is objective, it's impartial, unbalanced, unprejudiced, and nonpartisan. It speaks to all people at the same time. Never caters to the crowd. Never says things to one person but not the other. And it's immutable. That is, God does not change and neither does God's truth, which cannot be true today, but not true tomorrow. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, which is why so many of us are here in this place at this time, because in all of this world, when everything's getting shaken and rearranged, this is something we can count on forever. Society may try to define morality. Culture may try to reclassify its mores, but Jesus identified himself as the truth, not the custom of the day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. The world changes, kingdoms rise and fall, but truth remains unchanging. Truth is authoritative. It does not stammer or stutter. It always makes demands upon us and is difficult and never offers mere suggestions, never asks us to consider that or this and make up our own mind. Instead, there's a voice of authority, roaring like the sound of many waters, drowning out every other voice. Truth demands our response. In conclusion today, I want to just say a word about that Rotarian. We know that all people are measured by the truth, and every life is weighed in the balance by the truth, and every destiny is marked by the truth that when followed really does set us free, and it set this Rotarian free too. Through his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to how he embodied God's truth in the world through the four-way test, He changed his business practices over time. It took 20 years. But in due season, through his fidelity to God, the company did have the returns that he had hoped. They did come out of the Great Depression, having just almost lost the whole thing. And they did, they were able to honor God and to live faithfully and well according to God's promises. 
So in a few minutes when you go your way to donuts and dads and all that you have ahead of you today, let the clamor and the noise of the world do whatever the world needs to do. You know who you are. And you know to whom you belong. And you know the way, the truth, and the light. And you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. May it be so. Amen.
thought, I thought it was the movie clip that was going to make me cry, but it's Taylor singing. Uh, for our prayers for the people uh, today, folks, I would actually like to share uh, a prayer with you. And this was a prayer that was introduced to me many, many years ago. And ever since that time, I have shared uh, this prayer with uh, any youth that I have ever gone on a mission trip with. This is the way we have always started our time together um, because it's a really, really wonderful reminder of how we as people of faith and as Christians, how our journey is never ending and how we don't always necessarily uh, see the fruits of us being on that journey uh, right away. That is, we are always, as people of faith, as Christians, we are planting seeds and we are doing things that might not take root until well after we have gone past that. And I think it's really important to remember that. And this prayer is for, actually from um, an archbishop. Uh, his name is Oscar Romero. And uh, this prayer is attributed to him. There's some uh, back and forth about whether he actually had prayed it or it was, it was written for him. But nevertheless, uh, he was an activist uh, in South America, and he um, spoke out about injustice uh, and how important it was to do that uh, and was actually murdered. Uh, people came into his church while he was delivering mass um, and was killed. Uh, and this, this devotion kind of lives on in his spirit of, 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 of just that, of, of not always knowing uh, what the fruits of living in the way are going to produce um, because uh, God's plan is never ending. So I think uh, Dan actually will put this up for you all as well, but I would like to share this uh, with you. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's whole mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, 
not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. Amen. Take us home, friends. Why don't we stand one more time and praise our amazing Father together.
friends, as we leave here today, let us be seed planters. Let us be waters. Let us be prophets of a future that is not our own. Go in peace, my friends, and may the grace and love of God be with you now and always. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Thank you.